Welcome back to Limbach Unlocked. On this podcast, we pride ourselves on bringing you many different topics and perspectives on both business and life. And today's show is no exception. This company has been on a journey to create a culture of belonging and do that in a way that is authentic and meaningful, not just checking a box or keeping up with the way the world is moving. So shedding some light on a group of people who bring so much history and beauty to our world and the workplace is guest speaker Rowdy Duncan. Rowdy is a professor and consultant in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and he's joining us today to talk specifically about Native people groups. What he shares is in many ways surprising because while talking about one specific population, he identifies some key universal applications to just being better humans and running a stronger business. Tune in to find out how. Let's get started, shall we? All right. Hi, Rowdy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's going to be really, really great to touch on this topic. I know there's a lot of things we could be covering. We have a limited amount of time, but mm -hmm. so glad you're with us. Could you? Could we start with you telling us your story, who you are, um, and why why you're here to talk about this with us? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity, especially to get to tell a background when it's time to talk on these issues because. The truth is some of our backgrounds are squishy and complicated. And so mm -hmm. for me, um, I'm mixed race. Uh, I am like through my mother, I've uh, got some Caucasian, uh, but my father was Taos Pueblo. Um, but unfortunately I didn't really get raised in my culture due to domestic violence and abuse, uh, drug mm -hmm. abuse, alcohol abuse. So there was a time where we had to leave him when I was about two or uh, much, much younger than two, actually, I think around one. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't really have deep connections to my Taos people because we were afraid of his folks knowing where we were and people getting followed and things yeah. like that. So I racially am Native, but it's hard because that deep Taos culture isn't something that I got to be raised with. And so I have this experience of being a, a brown person, but like, you know, I didn't have a deep connection to my ancestral roots, but being a professor um, and then also having the business that I have, like, you know, when you have some esteem and any success within your community, you're definitely seen as a leader and embraced as such. And I really appreciate that that's uh, happened as I've grown older. Um, <clears throat> so because of my role and because of my background, I'm asked to speak and lead and also, um, you know, advocate for change on behalf of Native people. And so um, that's a little bit about who I am and kind of how I got to be in the space I'm at. Yeah. And, and let me probe a bit further, if you don't mind, because you had mentioned that um, growing up, you didn't have much to do with that part of your history and that part of your mm -hmm. background. But since then, you've you've taken very intentional steps to learn more and mm -hmm. to reconnect, right? So yeah. what has that looked like for you? Well, kind of what's nice about this experience I personally have is I think that's something people all need to do, especially mm -hmm. folks that aren't native to this continent, right? Because we're all yeah. descended from a people. And it's hard because when you say like you're American, 
what does that mean, right? We eat hot dogs, we like fireworks, we eat apple pie, but like, <laughs> right. what else does that mean, right? Yeah. Um, so for me, it was really kind of coming back to what was it like to be a group of people that lived with deep, meaningful connections in small, uh, tight-knit tribal communities. Uh, and I also tried to get a sense of like, you know, because there was, you know, f- folks don't always know, like, you know, there was more like war warrior type tribes and then there mm-hmm. was much more peaceful more matriarchal tribes and i think mm. uh taos folks uh trended more to the matriarchal side just that the, we were able to grow food and there was abundance of it <clears throat> so there's two ways of kind of like getting there right there's the book learning that you could do about your own personal history mm-hmm. but then there's the exposure just to people and their way that you have to just take a lot of time to spend time with to deeply understand. And yeah. so uh, I did my, my book work, <laughs> like it, it's, it's happened and it's ongoing, yeah. but I think I've always learned the most by just hanging and being around people. And it's interesting because like, you know, there's this concept in our world called pan Indian. That's like um, assuming like all native people are the same, which is not the case, right? Cause this continent is huge. Um, but there are themes of things that can be kind of similar, but you also find patterns of connection. Like, you know, folks from the Southwest here tend to be a certain way because like, you know, it's not as different from place to place. Right. Um, but in general, uh, I always love spending time with it. I just got done with a leadership, uh, retreat with a group of native folks. Um, and there's just so much laughing and fun and teasing and good times, um, but I find those things when I actually get in a moment and become among a group of people that accept me, right? Mm-hmm. They just kind of relax and be themselves. But I, I wish everybody had the opportunity to go back and do some of that stuff because, you know, who you were as a people, like say you're from like Scotland, there's some actually deep stuff that you can find with some tribal connections to that thing. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't know how. But I think the beginning of learning is understanding you want to know, and then those right. things start to arise. Right. It's that awareness first, like you said, mm-hmm. and there's so much there that we could go through, but I first, I yes. feel like we need to get the nomenclature right, because I've heard you say native peoples. Um, you also mentioned Indians, and I know it's been said native Americans. What's the proper term for this group? So there is not a proper term. Okay. Um, and that's what's hard is like, it's going to be situational and circumstantial. I know a lot of folks are looking at doing um, land acknowledgements, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're like, well, we should call them their ancestral name. And I'm like, well, but that's complicated because like their tribal sovereignty is under a different name, right? And you might want to recognize your tribal sovereignty. So like, would Navajo people want to be called Navajo because they have tribal sovereignty under that name? Or do they want to be called their name, their ancestral name? So there's a lot of names for folks. Um, when it's time to talk tribal sovereignty, it's American Indian because that's the way it's written in law. Um, ha- Native works, uh, indigenous peoples to the North Americas, 500 First Nations. So Ooh. honestly, the best thing to do is just say, hey, I understand you come from the people of this land. What's the name you want to be called? <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. And I think that makes sense too when you're like your your call to action to all of our listeners, no matter what your background is, um, 
explore it, get to know it and ask those people, Hey, what are we called? Or what would, what would you call yourself? Um, That that gives voice to the group Mm -hmm. as well, which I think is important. So I'm going to refer to um, native Americans, native uh, or American Indians as native peoples, if that's okay. All right. So who is a native person? If we were to define, and I know you said you identify, um, as half, but, but you've gotten to know this wonderful culture, um, Mm -hmm. and this group. So how would you, I don't want to even say categorize, but how, how would you describe the native person? Yeah, that's a whole can of worms too, right? (laughs) Um, Because, you know, we have this intermediary uh, of a a tribal or a, a government entity that defines kind of who we are Hmm. and that's become it's a a source of a lot of pain and difficulty because some nations are are seen as enrolled tribal members and are recognized by such by the U.S. government however on the west coast they kind of stopped doing a lot of that stuff so say tribes in California like yeah they're native peoples for sure and we know we they've been there forever However, they're not a federally recognized tribe, right? Mm. And so they don't have that same tribal sovereignty. However, that makes them no less native. Um, and then too, when we start to get more expansive and less rigid in our thinking, it's kind of hard to call like even Hispanic people non-natives because like really they're just mixed native people because we would migrate hundreds of miles depending wow. on where we were, right? So yeah. folks that might be identified as Mexican, like, well, can you really say they were Mexican? Because they were both in the Mexico area as well as the U.S. area. And here yeah. in Arizona, this was Mexico. So, like, it's so complicated. Great point. So, like, saying who is and who isn't, it's not one of those things that's really easy to do. But that's where, again, just sit back and listen to stories and get a sense of what's going on. But generally speaking, on this land, um, the best way to describe what that would be is whoever were the people of the land of blank that was situated somewhere on this continent. But this Mm. continent is huge. Huge. I know. So when even when we say Native Americans, I think we tend to think the United States of America. Yes. But North America, South America, Central America. I mean, we are talking everywhere. Yeah. So it really is hard to pinpoint. And you, you've mentioned the land quite a few times, as well as listening to stories. Those Mm -hmm. are two things that I'm somewhat familiar with as Mm -hmm. identification or identifiers of um, native people's culture. Mm -hmm. Is that true? And, And could you expand on that a little bit more? Very, very much so. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I've identified this like idea. It's called like there's we know about colonization. People talk Mm -hmm. about decolonization, trying to undo that thing. But I've been made aware of this idea beyond decolonization, which is called indigeneity. It's Mm -hmm. how do we return to the practices that we did when we were known as people of the land of wherever. And it's important to note that natives tends to be more of a word to describe the experience of the peoples of North America. However, indigenous is something that's a global phenomenon. Yes. And all people are descended from indigenous people. And so 
the real way, I, best way to describe what that is and kind of like how that works is helping people get an understanding of the, the idea that, you know, we are all just people of the land, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's where we came from. And it's interesting because I think within Western culture, there's this idea that like, like we don't really see or recognize those things. Um, and when I get really reflective, one of the things I have in like my email signature, because I think it's important to note, mm -hmm. um, is perhaps when our blood returns to the sea, perhaps when our bones and muscle returns to the, the dirt of this earth, perhaps it is then we will remember it is not the earth that belongs to us. It's us who belongs to the earth, hmm. right? To really get us to understand if the ground were not here, we would not be here as well. But that's where I think there's like a kinship and a thing that moves across peoples to connect us back to. We are people of the land of, but you can even see in that quote how that story and that idea really gives you yeah. a deep, meaningful connection to who you are. Oh my goodness. The connectedness of people to people, I think is what we, is a lot of time what we think of um, as Westerners, especially like, yeah, of course, human to human connection makes sense, mm -hmm. yeah. but human to earth, a mm -hmm. little more abstract right. human to sun, moon, sky, right. way abstract, you know, right. but, mm -hmm. but the native uh, people culture, what I've read and what I've heard is it's, we're all connected and there is a reverence for mm -hmm. one another. And when I say one another, it's earth included. Yeah, all my relations is what we call it, right? And we huh. even give rocks and bodies of water spiritual, like um, like a spiritual, there's a word that I can't think of, uh, mm -hmm. significance, right? Like we mm -hmm. recognize there's a spirit to that entity and we respect it as though it were a living being. And it's funny because in our world, we don't have words for sustainability because to need a word like sustainability but means the possibility of you getting so far out of whack and potentially dead is too close. You, if you even had that concept, your, your life is threatened because you're so disconnected from all your relations or even like understanding that like you're empowered by seven generations of ancestors that bring you forward to where you are today. Um, it's a way of thinking that I think is very empowering because it recognizes you didn't do this on your own. And when it's time to do something that you might be worried <laughs> about being bigger or beyond you, um, it's not really the case, right? Because you've yeah. got like seven generations of ancestors on your back, you know, at your back. Yeah. And you're standing on the shoulders of those folks. Um, but it's hard because when we disbelieve the truth of that narrative, we can feel lonely and isolated, uh, like we're all on our own. Right. I think you see a lot of that in today's society. And my head is swimming because I'm just thinking about, well, we'll talk about this in a bit, but I'm just thinking about how there's so many connotations here for leadership and for yeah. organizations. Yeah. And especially, I mean, in academia as well, you, you know, being a professor that there is more of a movement to, to pull from the insights of indigenous cultures because we are realizing we can't do this on our own and we need even something so simple as 
going out to walk in nature to reset yeah. or to reflect. Right. <laughs> These are yeah. things that should not be mind blowing, but they are to corporate America. <laughs> they are. Yes. It's funny when I was hanging out with uh, these native folks over the weekend, I was telling them about the phenomenon of explaining this indigeneity thing. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, and they say, what did they say? And they go, and I said, Rowdy, like, you know, I, I tell, they'll say, like, white folks will say to me, Rowdy, how do I do this? And uh, I smile and laugh because I'm with people, right? And I'm like, I just say, go outside. The ground's right there. Make friends. The birds are there. Like, <laughs> notice, see who comes notice. to visit you. And they're going to keep coming by, right? And you'll start to listen and know what, mm. what each bird sounds like because you're present and you're paying attention. You'll notice the tree blooming. You'll notice the tree losing its leaves. You'll noticing like the water ebb and flow, like depending on how hot it is. Like we all speak the language of earth, but like you got to slow down and watch to like speak that language again. But it's, it, even if you're situated on this land here, that opportunity to make that relationship and be humble enough to learn from something that you were taught was like a stagnant static thing. Like, I think that ability to slow down and listen, I mean, we always think as leadership as someone being in the front. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is something I know we talked at, uh, about at Limbach, mm-hmm. you know, on the totem pole, the person is not at the top. They're at the bottom because they serve. Right. Mm-hmm. And so true leadership is being of service, not the person that tells everyone what to do. Wow. It, such implications for how an organization could be run. Um, and we are, we're going to talk more about that because that's a big piece of this conversation. But we are talking today in large part because June 2nd is when the Indian Citizenship Act of 1924 was enacted by Congress. And it, it granted citizenship to all Native Americans born in the U.S., It wasn't until 1957 that Native Americans could vote. So, I mean, there's a huge discrepancy there, but I think it's important going forward in this conversation that we lay some of the uncomfortable foundation down Mm -hmm. that there are some, there's some really troubling major events that have shaped this people group and, and how non indigenous um, folks think of them. So Mm. I'm hoping you could help us identify a few of those. And this is uncomfortable. And I'm putting that out there for our listeners because nobody likes to hear about what uh, our ancestors have done wrong and what we've done wrong. But I think it's important for us to acknowledge. Well, and too, on that note, before I kind of talk about history as well, like, I think it's hard because like, I think sometimes groups of people that are in situations or positions of power can feel that guilt and mm. think like, well, this is about like white people or about this is about men or this is about like upper class people. But it's hard because that that notion fails to catch the nuance of the truth, right? So colonization is not just a Western Europe phenomenon. Like colonization happened on this continent. Some tribes uh, kidnapped other tribes, um, forced them in, to be part of their community or would yeah, take over point. groups of people. So colonization happened here. Colonization happened in Africa amongst people that were indigenous to those spaces. So like this way of thinking is the enemy. It's not groups of people, right? And so Mm. it's the thinking that we're trying to fight. So when you're talking about this specific background, it's interesting because like, it's so interesting to live in this world that says like, follow the rules, 
don't break the law. And I'm like, oh, you don't follow the rules. You broke the law. You know, you wrote things down. There was these treaties that said you could have these spaces or do these things and over and over and over again. Those same laws that were written by the folks in power were broken over and over mm. and over again. And the other thing that's interesting too is like, there was an assumption that if you raised us and we just acted white, that we could be successful in this place. Unfortunately, the truth is that's not true. Um, I actually attempted to do that as a young brown boy in Texas. Mm-hmm. And people were like, hey, you're brown. Like, you're not white. You're different. Like, what are you doing? Like, huh. I wish we could live in a truly colorblind society, but that's not the experience, right? Right. Um, so when you, you see, even in the question, you uh, the Indian Citizen Japanese, act in 1924 enacted well it's not really put in place till much much later Hmm. so 1957 native people gained the ability to vote however that's not even when all folks really had the capacity to vote it wasn't until the civil rights act where, where it said hey everybody has to have the equal opportunity to get to a place to vote and not jump through all these hoops to actually get to that place and, and so, yeah, 1964 said, yeah, we have to do things about that. But it wasn't even years and years later that we actually could get to a space where people had the capacity to vote. And sadly, it's also one of those things that's beginning to regress because out here in Arizona on the Navajo Reservation, and that's like, like hundreds of square miles of space, you can be 300 miles away from a hospital so like getting to a voting place mm. is difficult. And if you're an older person, they're making now these older pure people take these hundreds of miles trips to just put their ballot in the box when someone could have just taken it for them, mm. right? And like these laws and things are even putting some folks' current ability at risk to vote. And so seeing and recognizing like, it's not just this historical thing, like some of these patterns continue to play out here and so recognizing you know there's work to do right yeah none of this stuff is any individual person's fault and i wish people could get beyond this concept Mm -hmm. however it doesn't mean there's not work to do right and just by owning and acknowledging hey this is what happened this is where we were did you like phil do this thing no of course you've only been here for a blank number of years however phil because things are the way they are, like it doesn't mean there's a responsibility to not act or make a difference on behalf of others. Because the other thing, you know, really getting back to how does this work within company cultures and make a difference for the folks that are here? Um, When we get different people to the table and different ways of thinking around one another, we can get to new amazing places. Um, you're going to love this idea, Carrie. Okay. Um, there's this word, and I don't know how to pronounce it, um, but it's kind of translated as two-eyed seeing, right? And so you can look at something with your Western eye and look at, like, what is this problem? How does this problem work? And what solution exists? And then there's your indigenous eye that you look at things through. And the more you look through your indigenous eye, the clearer your indigenous vision gets. And so there's a way to re-envision the world with your Western eye. Not like, you know, I like my cell phone too. I don't necessarily get rid of that thing. 
Um, however, is there a way to do cell phones in more of an indigenous way that doesn't exploit or hurt people? Or maybe um, like, you know, when it's time to get some of those metals out of the earth, you know, we exploit a lot of people <clears throat> and like hurt the earth and the environment in that process, right? So how can we look through both eyes to come and leave the worst of both things behind and try to create the best wow. of both things together to create this new way together? And, and the idea is the more you exercise both eyes, the easier that kind of thinking gets. Absolutely. Like you're in some ways, your, your Western, your indigenous eye will help you see the limitations of your Western vision. And then also your Western vision will give you a sense of, well, where are we now? And what things do we want to keep? But your indigenous eye will critique like, okay, who is this hurting? What ancestors does this leave out? What relations does this hurt? And how can we think in more of an inclusive way to make sure that we're respecting all things that made this opportunity exist, right? It's really about mutual benefit and reciprocity and seeing you have a responsibility to everything that helped you get here, do well as well. My gosh, there's so much overlap between what you've just said and looking through those different perspectives and um, the working in an organization, especially as someone who doesn't necessarily think about their indigenous history. And I, one thing that I really appreciate about, was it two eyed see? Two eyed seen. Two eyed seen. Okay. That I am, I'm definitely going to use that because that helps me visualize <laughs> the whole idea of perception being reality. And you hear, mm -hmm. I mean, you hear that mantra a lot. Perception is reality. Yeah. And as organizational members, it's very easy just to get into a groove and routine. And this is what I do. This is who I do it with. And I go home at five o'clock and that's my day is done. And I don't even think about what I've done that day. I don't reflect on anything, but what the concept that you've just brought to us, um, I think helps us do in business is it not only helps us be more empathetic, which will help grow business, right? Yes. <laughs> Um, but it also, it also just makes us a more well-rounded person. I think there's a, there's a holisticness there. I don't even know if holisticness is a word, but <laughs> there's a wholeness <laughs> I should probably yes. say, um, which I also think is very indicative of the first people's group, um, culture, right? There's just yeah. a, you're looking at the whole person and the whole landscape, if you will, and we're not good at that, but it is something we have to exercise. Well, and I think uh, I put the link to the TED Talk with two-eyed seeing in the chat. So if you mm -hmm. want to like put that in this, uh, yes, I think yeah. people will really enjoy that. I can do that. You're right, though. It is hard to see. And that's one of the things that's nice, I think, about like the pain of my experience is not knowing these things and not knowing where to find these things, but bumbling and stumbling through with good, with, mm. with, Goodwill, best effort, best intentions, making mistakes, having to apologize. Um, but like you said, I think some of this stuff is going to require new words like holisticness. You know, like <laughs> two-eyed seeing is a new concept, right? Yeah. Like as we gain new linguistic understandings of ways of being, like we can understand that stuff more. <clears throat> and it's funny because like, I know like 
and business people have heard like this concept of like win-win before, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's not necessarily new, but like how often are we really going for full-on win, full-on win? Because we're so steeped in win-lose competition. Like, you know, we want to compete, we want to win, but like you can channel this competitive effort into mutual reciprocal wins. Um, You can understand that like, I don't know. It's like you and me, Katie, just today. Like we haven't talked in months, mm-hmm. but like we created this relationship based yeah. on respect and trust. And so we can pick up this relationship and move forward incredibly fast with a high degree of trust. Yeah. And like nothing moves at the speed of trust, you know, um, seeing in how we can do and work these things. And when we're living in this space of like mutual benefit, it's amazing what comes forward, but you're right. Like when you look in that indigenous eye first, everything's blurry and you don't understand yeah. anything. Um, but it's not unavailable too, right? Like, and you know, we're just talking about indigenous people. There's something that's available in like um, the practices of blackness, right? The, mm-hmm. the ways like, you know, cause there's African-American and sometimes black folks call themselves black. Cause they're like, look, I'm not, I don't know even where I'm from in Africa. I just know what it's like to be black in the United States. Hmm. <clears throat> but when you get around black folks and see how they practice like being black, with this idea of blackness, you learn about a way of being that is completely new and different to you. And like that connection to soul that they've had to develop as a survival technique to be in the United States teaches me how to be a better human and then also yeah. how to like really maximize my relations with others. Yeah. And, and to start winding us down here, because I think you've brought up some really key points that address a lot of different areas of life, um, which gives list- our listeners a lot to think through. You're welcome, everybody. Um, but just to summarize some of them, one question I keep coming back to, or one thought I keep coming back to is, you've said it's no one individual's fault or problem even, um, but we as individuals can start to make a difference toward a more collective good for everyone. So a couple of things you've mentioned are just becoming more aware Mm -hmm. of who we're working with, um, how the things that we say and do affect other people. Um, And then you also mentioned doing your own research on your own background, your own, um, ancestral stories and where Mm -hmm. you, where you've come from doing the book, book research, but also just talking to people and even listening to podcast episodes like this, I think are hopefully eye-opening and helpful to get us thinking that way. Are there Mm -hmm. other things that we as individuals can do to learn more and better support each other as well as this population in particular? Well, the first thing that I wanted to make sure I said when you asked that question is, yes, it's not your individual fault. However, when things are out of balance, it is your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And responsibility is a big part of like being or more understand this, this way of being. And yeah. so like, yeah, like I want to be responsible and make a difference. However, there's only so much of a lift that Rowdy the individual could do, right? right. And so some of it's like drawing in other folks to make a positive difference as well. But I think part of the other thing is recognizing, you know, this population hasn't had access and opportunity in the same way other folks have had access and opportunity. And it's hard because we measure them 
according to standards of assumption that they've had access and opportunity to those things, right? And so sometimes we had viewed in a deficit way, um, which is hard because we're like, well, school was only, you know, it was like 20 miles from school. I had to walk 10 miles just to catch the bus. Um, And we didn't have access to a lot of great resources. Like, it doesn't mean these people are deficits, right? They haven't had access to opportunity in the same way. And so they're going to need access to opportunity in new ways for you to get the boon of this way of thinking and being in your organization, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's so hard because I think people think when they think of affirmative action, they think like, oh, I have to hire the lesser person. No, it's supposed to be a tiebreaker. Like, right, if two people are tied, affirmative action picks the person of a marginalized background in a tie, but you never hire the less qualified person, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you when you gain someone with this insights, knowledge, and ways of being, you start to like find new ways of being and doing that I think are important to you. Right. So a lot of it is, I mean, the answer is complicated and simple. Like, you know, it's just like the story I said when people say, Rowdy, how do I do indigeneity? I say, go outside slow down, mm-hmm. pay attention. Yeah. Like you have the capacity to create a, a relationship with the ground, right? Like when it's time to meet new people, go among them, sit down, be humble, be willing to learn, like see what this group of people can teach you. And you're going to find some amazing stuff with this. However, there's a responsibility and we can't shirk that responsibility either. Right. And um, this way of being that I've seen among all, you know, Asian folks, Black folks, Hispanic mm-hmm. folks, like there's this way I've, I've characterized it as ongoing relational maintenance that keeps that speed of trust moving really quickly. Mm-hmm. And it also allows us to lovingly correct one another when we make mistakes. Right. Yeah. And like, I know, like saying love in a construction company <laughs> on a podcast is probably like, what? Um, so but, uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> but like we spend all this time with all these people and like, what are you going to say? You don't like somewhat love your best friends. It's at so work. true. Yeah. There right? is definitely our, one of our core values is we care. I mean, where right. does that come from? If not love? Yeah. yeah. You can't care without <laughs> some degree of love. Some it's degree. Yeah. You're like, otherwise you're, you're almost like you're, you're, I don't know. It's almost like a form of like pity. Like if you're not doing it with a sense of love. Right. So it just takes it being a little bit different. And of course it's uncomfortable at first. Everything new is uncomfortable at first, but the more and more you look, the more and more your vision uh, crystallizes, the more and more you're in proper and good relations with folks, the more and more dynamic opportunities and ways of being and connection happen. And so it's funny because you're asking how can we help these folks? Like honestly, how I can how you can help you is just go hang out and get to know these folks. Mm. Like they're all across the this place, right? Go to a powwow. You're not gonna know what to do. That's okay. They know you don't know what to do. They'll tell you what to do while you're there. You're yeah. gonna see some amazing dances. Uh, at some point in time, sometimes they call everybody out of the stands and we all get in the line and do the same thing together, but it's fun and we laugh yeah. and food together. And like <clears throat> all you got to do is step outside your comfort zone first and then step outside of what you're used to doing. 
then show up in a place you haven't been before. And all of a sudden, the opportunity for relationship arises in a whole new way. Um, but it does take you one, recognizing you got to get outside of that comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And then two, you're going to have to do some research to figure out where your nearest yeah. powwow is. Because trust me, Katie, when you go to a powwow, you'll never call a meeting a powwow again. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I fun. believe you. <laughs> and maybe there's some things we could implement, you know, here. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'd love to do some uh, some dancing and singing in our meetings. Yeah. That would be great. Post-meeting, dancing and singing. Yeah. Before we yeah, transition into the can next can totally time. see people doing that. <laughs> just yes, having absolutely. so much fun. Right. Oh, man. Everything you have said is so meaningful. There's so much for people to pick up on, especially these last points, these practical things that um, we can start doing even today. And it's, it's mm-hmm. putting yourself outside of your comfort zone, doing research is something I can do right after this. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. Um, and I also appreciate the, the gentleness but firmness with which you have shared this information. And I think that Mm -hmm. there is, there's both of those uh, Mm -hmm. to this conversation. There's a gentleness, there's love, like you said, and understanding we're not all going to know. So we have to ask and we have to come in with humility, but there's also, we have a responsibility when things Mm -hmm. are out of balance. So I've appreciated both of those things. Is there anything else you would like to leave our listeners with as we close out here? Um, I think the last thing that I want to share, <clears throat> and I think that you've gotten to know this in our time together, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think you can speak to this too. So maybe echo the thought. When you start a journey like this and try to work on diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, something in you starts to change. And this becomes a, a practice of leadership that changes you as a person that improves who you are as a person. And I don't think people in my world talk about how when you act or be this way, it's a form of self-discipline and self-leadership that makes you as an individual a better human being too. And I wish folks know that it's not a policy practice. It's a heart practice that changes you as a human that makes you a better human. You'll do things at work that'll make you come home to your family as a better people a person to the people you love. Yeah. And I wish folks deeply knew and understand that. Um, that's why I call my organization inclusive activism, right? Is because when we're actively inclusive, like we find this way of changing and being in yeah. a new way. So, mm. yeah. so good. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Um, I hope this is not the last. So appreciate mm-hmm. you, Rowdy, and all that you've shared today. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate being here. So you have some ways now that you can step outside of your comfort zone and grow and learn. But even more than that, you've heard some concepts on today's show that can either blow your mind and change you from the inside out, or depending on how you want to see the world, you can just gloss over them and go about your day. I hope you choose the former. Allow this world to surprise you and impact you for the better. That's what we aim to facilitate on Limbach Unlocked, and that's what I hope we did here today. Catch you next time. Mm